This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. The new TNN proudly presents WCW Must Die, starring Conan. You guys are a bunch of cranberries. Chronic. We're all about cashing checks and breaking necks. Mike Tanay. Chronic hurts people for money. Tank Abbott. Where's Big Bill Goldberg at? Huh? Looking for Goldberg. The Chosen One. Jeff Jarrett. Choke on that, you old Jarrett slap ass. Mean Gene Okerlund. Blow it out your ass, Jarrett. The Franchise. Shane Douglas. <laughs> Kimberly. It's all about me. Mike. Awesome. I threw Canyon off the top of that cage. Canyon. Yeah, I'm positively Canyon. General. Rection. Misfits fall in and bring me major guns. Lieutenant Loco. <laughs> and if you don't, <laughs> I'll kill ya. Pamela Paulshock. What are your thoughts about the ambulance match? Rick Steiner. Don't like me? Bat me. Scott Hudson. That's the thug life, Tony. Mark Madden. Snoochie Boochies, Tony. Stevie Ray. What the hell is he talking about, Tony? Vampiro. I am your anti-hero, Steve. Sting! I'm not ribbing ya! Scott Steiner. You're done finer! I'm doing a 69er! With Scott Steiner! Ric Flair! Rutho! Rutho! Woo! Ernest the Cat Miller. May I please have your attention, please? May I please have your attention, please? Shut the hell up! Eric Bishop. You guys, you guys stop. You too much. I, I love you guys. I can feel it. There's a lot of love here. Tony Schiavone. The tag mate now to Chuck Palumbi. It's, it's a red liquid. A red liquid from Thunder. Big Sexy. Kevin Nash. <laughs> Gimmicks alive. Look at the adjective. It's gimmick. Hollywood. Hulk Hogan. This, this your thing, Russo? That's why the company's in the in the damn state it's in. Cause of bullshit like this. Vince Russo. I'm here for the book of T's and Jeff Jarrett's of this world! Alright, pop culture addicts, welcome back to the new TNN for what is part two of WCW Must Die, episode 20, covering the Great American Bash 2000! Woo! We had a fun time in part one, didn't we? But thanks to everybody for coming back here for part two. I hope that, judging from the the length of episode one, and hopefully, hopefully, the entertainment value you got out of it, we can sort of justify cutting this bad boy into two pieces. Now, just uh, 
just wanted to take a moment. Oh, you know what? I forgot to mention in our first episode. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new intro? You know, the new cast list is up. You know, we got to keep this bad boy updated because, uh, you know, the wars of sports entertainment will last forever. But the war between the new blood and the millionaires club, you know, we're we're kind of reaching a close of this era. You know, it's not going to last forever. I mean, it might last forever considering how long it takes to get these episodes out. But I'm just saying, you got to keep that roster of WCW uh, superstars that are assembling for each episode. You got to keep that bad boy up to date. Now, I don't want to recap episode one because you should have listened to it. However, if for some reason you haven't, okay... There are a couple things that we need to recap, but there's a couple other things I want to use as an advertisement, maybe, to get you to go listen to it. So, we recap the journey of this show. Not the Great American Bash, but WCW Must Die. So, if you've ever been curious about the history of the show, check it out. Uh, We also hypothesize that Hollywood Hulk Hogan hangs out in the Temple of Doom to prepare Billy Kidman to be the Supreme Sacrifice. It happened. Uh, but more importantly to the pay-per-view, uh, don't forget that the cops have surrounded the Baltimore arena to make sure that Goldberg cannot penetrate uh, the new blood. That just really sounds very awkward. Penetrate the new blood. You know, just make sure Goldberg can't get in the arena and fuck with Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo. How's that? How's that? Uh, we had a cruiserweight title match that blew. Uh, we had kind of a fun tag between Chronic and the Mama Lukes with some fun Big Vito shenanigans, if you can believe it or not. The classic ambulance match. It was fun. Uh, which, of course, was a debut of Positively Canyon, an awesome character. Folks, we tackled what might be the worst match in WWE Must Die history, the boot camp match between Perfection Stasiak and uh, G.I. Bro. We also took some time to analyze the... The entrance of G.I. Bro, which I think was a fun one. We tried to be scientific about it and not so much humorous. Pivoting, though, off of one of the worst matches in history, we covered one of the best, the best of five tables match, singular. Just listen to it. And, of course, we ended up with the Asylum match, which was short, dumb, and stupid. But we left on a teaser. So just to get you back exactly where we were, don't forget that as we exited the scene in episode one, the Flair Fleer family arrived. That's all of them, folks. Rick Flair, the wrestling character. Beth Fleer, the stepmom. Reed Fleer, the youngster, who hopefully is getting paid for these appearances. Megan Fleer, a.k.a. Megan Thompson, roll tad. And Ashley Fleer, a.k.a. Charlotte Flair, is here. And she's going to be involved in that match. I can't wait to get to it. But now, there is no time for the past. We must, we must look to the future, or the present, for part two. Now, part two begins immediately after the Flair family arriving with a video recap of the Hulk Hogan-Billy Kidman feud. This is, of course, where the Supreme Sacrifice gag comes from, because Hogan says, Billy Kidman is going to be the Supreme Sacrifice. Now, as we come to this, the third in the trilogy, well... At the, that's not really a, tri- a real trilogy. They they have a couple of get uh, run-ins on nitros and thunders and shit like that. And at the uh, at Spring Stampede, they fight. They don't actually have a match. But this is, for all intents and purposes, the end of the feud between Billy the Billy the Kid Man and and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And 
you know, has this feud lived up to expectations? Well, we should probably define expectations. What were our expectations for this feud? I've always liked the feud, but more for its kitsch value than anything else. But I will admit, when I was a teenager and seeing this shit for the first time, I was like, hey, Hogan and Kidman is so crazy and off the walls as a pairing. Like, really? Kidman with Hogan? I was like, okay, this could be fun. Hogan could be an interesting base for Kidman to jump off of. You know, it could be, you know, maybe Kidman's going to get elevated. And ultimately, that's that's got to be the key here. You know, the expectations for this feud should be that the feud ends with Billy Kidman being elevated. You got you got to assume, right? So if that's the case, folks, we've already failed before this match started. Kidman got a visual pinfall on Hogan a couple of times. Uh, the first time they ever got into an altercation on Nitro, like the reboot episode, I think Bischoff hit hit him with a chair, and then Kidman covered, and Bischoff counted three, and then he got a visual pin at Slambury as well. But that's about it. You know, I I definitely think that the end game being elevating Kidman should have always remained the same. But I do think there was a better way to get there. And I'm not some sort of an expert, but after this match concludes, I want to talk about how we could have maybe elevated Kidman coming out of this feud. But more importantly, after the video recap, Mean Gene is in the back with Hollywood Hulk Hogan and his gigantic boa. Now, folks, I want to talk about this promo. It's one of the more unique Hulk Hogan promos I've ever heard. And here it is for you, verbatim. <clears throat> Hollywood Hulk Hogan, welcome to the Great American Bash. And oh my goodness, Hollywood, you're covered in blood. What the hell is going on? Well, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Me and Carzilla were driving around Baltimore last night, Jack. Looking for that no-good stinking Billy the Kid Man. And we checked every flea market in town, dude. The only thing we could find was a couple of ring rizats and an AT&T phone card. And my Carzilla mean gene. You know, after being driven hard from here to Timbuktu, dude, Carzilla was looking to refuel. And while we were hoping that the kidster would be the supreme sacrifice, we decided to pick up these ring rats, dude, and take them back to the Hawksters. Temple of Doom. Oh, Hulkster, is that what you call your suite down at the Marriott? Well, not exactly, little man. You see, Hulk Hogan has an actual Temple of Doom underneath my palatial Hollywood state, brother man. So after we got Svitlana and Curly Sue in the back seat, dude. See, those are the ring rats' names, brother. We started burning some rubber. And Carzilla injected some of that rocket fuel to take Hollywood mania to the next level. And once we hit 88 miles per hour, mean gene, <laughs> Svetlana knew it was time to activate my flux capacitor. Oh, all right, Hollywood. Well, it's a PG show, but you'll have to tell me more later. Now, in regards to the surprise that's forthcoming from Eric Bischoff. Well, you know, me, Gene, I wasn't exactly done with my story, dude. 
See, now that we had the ring rats, Svetlana and Curly Sue, we had that AT&T phone card, dude. And with that AT&T phone card, I was able to call some of my disciples, brother. And I had them make preparations for this upcoming supreme sacrifice to Hulkamania. See, Brother Brutus went out and bought the finest white wedding gowns that Hollywood could afford, man. Making sure they'd fit Svetlana and Curly Sue. And then Brother Tugboat, we made the call to him, dude. And Brother Tugboat made the cut, Mean Gene. And what I mean by that is he cut up his arms so he could fill the Hawka Chalice with enough blood for Svetlana and Curly Sue to drink up, man. But now, ever since we last used the torture rack that lowers the supreme sacrifices into the lava, dude. We had a little bit of problem with the handcuffs, so the next call I had to make was to the jack-of-all-trades, Brother Hacksaw Jim Duggan, dude. And Brother Hacksaw, he got to work on those cuffs of love, man, making sure that the ladies would have no means of escape. And last but not least, Gino, we had to make that long-distance telephone call to Brother Bubba the Love Sponge. And Brother Bubba the Love Sponge needed to hustle down to the Temps of Doom, dude. And he made sure to bring his JVC camcorder so we could re-watch the sacrificial events anytime we need a pick-me-up, dude. So if we're looking for something to do down in Tampa Bay Beach, brother, we can re-watch the Supreme Sacrifice or maybe go out on some of the wide glides, Jack. Hollywood, I don't mind telling you, I'm starting to think we might be on two different wavelengths. Well, since I can hear the crowd calling the Hulkster's name, allow me to make myself real clear. Billy the Kid Man, Svetlana, and Curly Sue, dude, they ain't here no more. And the flea market is closing for business. So what you gonna do when the largest arms in the world... Carzilla and Kali Ma run wild on yeah. All right, Tony, Scott, Mark, I'm getting the hell out of here. Back to you at ringside. Uh, you know what, guys? I actually think that I played the wrong promo there. But but here's one thing I'll say about these crazy off-the-wall sketch-based shenanigans that I get into sometimes. If nothing else, you know, I'll always have a record of what I did this week. Because, obviously, I think we all know what movie I just watched. And I can re-listen to this episode someday when I'm old and young and be like, Well, that was the week I watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But what we do get in terms of our... Hollywood Hulk Hogan-based promo is is a strange promo where Hogan, well, sort of invents a new catchphrase for one night only, and, and you know what? Actually, let me just let me just actually give you the the true promo, okay? Mean Gene in Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen, I've been down the road many a year with this man. He and I started. A couple of decades ago, I've been in this sport for some 30 years. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, tonight may be the final time that we ever see you in World Championship Wrestling or in professional wrestling. And the man that wants to accomplish that feat is none other than this young upstart, Billy Kidman. And maybe not, Mean Gene. You know, you and I, brother, 
we can stay around as long as we want, man. Because you, Mean Gene, and I are etched in stone. You've been branded as Mean Gene. The mean means something, brother. And as far as Hollywood goes, when they branded Hollywood, they were talking about the good, the bad, and the real damn ugly, brother. And tonight, when I get in the ring with that flea market champion, Billy Kidman, it's gonna get real damn ugly, dude. I got one question. Referee is gonna be your nephew, Horace Hogan. Well, just remember one thing. Blood is thicker than new blood, dude. I'll remember that. What would happen to you? You know, this is a different outfit for you, Hulk Hogan. You say you're still the Hollywood of old. This is a different cut. Well, brother, you gotta change with the times. You gotta reinvent yourself. And as of late, we've got Goldberg back in the house. Big Sexy has taken control. And I figure to take this Hogan thing to a whole new level, it would be the good, the bad, and like I said, the real damn ugly of Hollywood. And there's nothing they can do, dude. Now watch what I do to Kidman. I got a pretty good idea. Let's get back to the arena. So say what you will, at least, about my Temple of Doom promo, but it at least contained a cohesive narrative. So, uh, this good, the bad, and the real damn ugly thing, okay? That's what Hogan's trying to get over, this concept. And I sort of get it. I sort of get it. Hogan's been kind of recently doing this three faces of Foley thing. But in order to be the three faces of Foley, you have to have three faces. Cactus Jack, Dude Love, and Mankind. So, if Hogan's three faces are the good, the bad, and the real damn ugly, dude, obviously a reference to the good, the bad, and the ugly, a Hollywood film, uh, well, Spaghetti West, you know what, never mind. But the good, well, Hulk Hogan, Red and Yellow, we've been there, we've done that. The bad is Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Okay, well, that makes sense. But now, Hulk says he's the real damn ugly. I guess it's this new version of Hollywood Hulk Hogan that wears the big-ass boa, even though Hollywood Hulk Hogan has worn boas before. Wouldn't it make sense for the real damn ugly to be his uh, Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea, F-U-N-B persona? I mean, I'm not advocating for more Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea, but... I feel like that would make more sense, and it's even more self-deprecating, because he calls it the real damn ugly, like, well, this is who I really am, dude. It ain't much to look at, brother. I don't know. I could be overthinking it, or maybe the Hulkster's underthinking it in his promo. But it's time to go back into the arena, because I hear a jaunty tune. Here comes Billy the Kidman. With Horace Hogan in a referee shirt. Tony Schiavone calls this a very, very ugly blood feud. And calls Billy Kidman the flea market champion. Well, he doesn't so much call him, but mentions that that's the status that he's been carrying in uh, Hulk Hogan's mind. Madden, of a mark nature, is rightfully like, Well, you know what, Tony? Hulk Hogan started this by talking that smack and calling Billy Kidman the flea market champion. Here comes Hollywood Hulk Hogan, of course, with his patented NWO theme. And, of course, he comes out rocking the air guitar, which I love. You know who doesn't love it, though? Mark Madden. Oh, look at this. 
No matter how hard he tries, he'll never be as cool as Hall. He'll never be as cool as Nash. If he looked any more ridiculous, they'd probably elect him governor somewhere, Tony. Florida? Question mark? But uh, as Hogan makes his grand entrance, Tony Schiavone calls this the defining moments in the careers of both men. Well, he's half right. Of course he then pivots to talking about Goldberg again. I I get talking about Goldberg in the first six matches, but this is a Hollywood Hulk Hogan match, and regardless of your personal feelings, which I get either way, like the amount of money and TV time that you dedicate to this man's character sort of dictates that you should probably pay full attention. Hey, we've had some shitty signs in the part one. Here's a decent one. Sign in the audience reads, The Real... H-H-H, or Triple H, and then it stacked has Hollywood Hulk Hogan with the three H's aligned. I guess you could say, shots fired. However, on a personal note, this makes me so happy because way, 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 way back in the day, in the North-South Connection Podcast Network archives, where I host the show The Multiverse of Fabulousness, I did, I think it's episode four of that show, I did like an alternate reality documentary that chronicled the heel turn of Hulk Hogan if it happened in the 1993 WWF, and he turned against Bret Hart. And it was so much fun, because instead of forming the NWO, he formed an evil faction called TBS, the Blockbuster Studio, like a Hollywood reference, because Hulk Hogan was making movies, dude. And of course, TBS being a reference to Turner, the Superstation, is sort of a dig to that alternate true history that we live in. But the best part is that when he dubbed himself Hollywood Hulk Hogan, he went by Triple H, dude. And then, of course, he he marries Stephanie McMahon at WrestleMania 11, which I checked. It was legal. But, man, if you you got an hour to kill and you don't mind some less-than-stellar audio quality, it's literally like I perform a documentary behind-the-music sort of thing with a narrator... I do like a British guy and everybody was like, well, Hulk Hogan then descended upon SummerSlam 1993 to do battle with Bret Hart. Here's what happened after the contest. And, you know, then it cuts, cuts to, like, Vince. We've seen it all! Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan! Wait! Wait! Hulk Hogan! Why is he using a chair? And it plays with history, like when Hogan turns heel, Vince does the, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell, straight to hell. I just, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite things. I've, I've often thought about doing like a, a George Lucas special edition here on the, uh, the new TNN, like taking the script verbatim, recording it with better audio, mixing in background music on our, you didn't come for this. I'm sorry. But if you, if, if you think you'd be interested, hit me up. I'm on Twitter at the Johnny C, T-H-E-J-O-N-N-I-E-S-E-A. And if enough people care, maybe I'll do it. Tony continues talk of Goldberg, however, and again, the major announcement with one of my favorite sentences of the evening, which is saying something. We have not seen the major announcement that will change the landscape of sports entertainment as we know it forever. Yet. When is it going to be? When is it going to happen? Will it transpire during the match? Between matches? At the end of a match? We do not know. Well, that's covered your bases during the match, between matches, end of match. I guess he missed beginning of a match. But holy shit. How about that phrase? 
The major announcement that will change the landscape of sports entertainment as we know it forever. That's the most Vince McMahon thing I've ever heard. Well, Johnny, uh, Concrete Man here, thank you for inviting me. I didn't. Yeah, well, Johnny, you know, we've had the remnants of the urn. Uh, we've had the King of the Ring award winner. Uh, and now, next week on Raw, we are going to have the major announcement that will change the landscape of sports entertainment as we know it forever. And it's an original idea on my part, notwithstanding. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about this more on the new spatial WWE.com website in our apps. The spatial computing app, which is available only on Apple Vision Plus. Uh, we are day one, Johnny. Um, the WWE exper- Universal-based experience is going to be available day one on Apple Vision Pro. And uh, you'll be able to live with the WWE superstars, travel with the WWE superstars. In fact, we're going to put cameras in all the rental cars. Uh, even if our superstars aren't allowed, and you can you can travel from city to city as if you were a WWE superstar, uh, sleep sleep on the couch of a Motel Six, Johnny C. It's all about spatial relationships. I'm here, you're there, and and uh, and might I add, Johnny, the spatial computing space of the WWE is not the major announcement that will change the landscape of sports entertainment as we know it forever. That is forthcoming, newest edition of Monday Night Raw. Can I have the show back, sir? Yes, I'll allow that. All right, so Scott Hudson throws in some shade at Billy Kidman. Somewhere, a flea market is without its main event because Billy Kidman is at the Great American Bash. I think he might be trying to compliment Billy here, but it doesn't quite work. Uh, the NWO theme ends right as it should. The biggest, the biggest, the biggest new, 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 new world order. The shirt is ripped to a pop. Hogan waves his arm back and forth to loosen him up. Horace tries to get Hogan to back up so BTK can get in the ring. Yeah, get used to BTK, by the way. Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid, man. It's just easier to say. Both men appear to be ready now. Scott Hudson reminds us that recently, Horace Hogan joined the new blood and was given the booby prize by Eric Bischoff. The booby prize, meaning Tory Wilson. I mean, that's that that's what he says. It's his words, not mine. Now, there are a decent amount of retirement signs in the crowd, like, go away, Hogan, retire, Hogan, see you in the unemployment line, etc., etc. That's something, but it's definitely more anti-Hogan sentiment than pro-Kidman. Hogan and Kidman are ready. They walk in circles, measuring one another. They continue to walk in circles. They continue to... Is this Memphis or something? Why are we stalling? Finally, Horace Hogan remembers he's the referee and calls for the bell. So here we go. Match number seven, or match one on this show, but the first main event of the evening. Career versus title shot. Hollywood Hulk Hogan defeats Billy Kidman to become the number one contender for the WCW heavyweight belt strap at Bash at the Beach via what I'm calling Three Ninjas Knuckle Up at Mega Mountain Dude. Now, as all good blood feud matches do, we start this encounter with a lockup. But Hollywood Hulk Hogan pushes BTK away, but the kidster rushes forward only to be pushed away yet again. Now some big right hands from the Hollywoodster, and Kidman appears to be cosplaying as a ping pong bong ball because he's just bouncing the fuck around. A big running punch sends BTK over the top rope and to the outside. 
Triple H tosses him right back in. And yep, it's going to be Triple H and BTK. It's faster to say. And that rhymed. Yay. Kidman immediately does his best impression of the Nature Boy Ric Flair by doing the bag-off. Oh, come on, Hulk. Come on, Hulk. Come on, Hulk. That's a shitty Billy Kidman, but I'm leaving it in. A little gut kick by Triple H and then some more right hands. All we're missing is Hollywood walking around being like, Come on, Meatball! You ain't got nothing, Meatball! I mean, he's basically just doing his normal, I'm beating the hell out of a guy shtick. Kidman, though, gathers up a head of steam and charges like a reino. But Hogan hits the big boot! Already? Hogan cups the ears and asks the fans, Is it time for me to drop the leg? No! Because BTK rolls out to safety. Nice moment here. As Triple H follows out, BTK is, is and leaning on the railing, and Hogan's like, Now, what I'm going to do, guys, is I'm going to ram his head into the railing, and it's going to hurt him, dude, and it's going to help me win the match. However, before Hogan rams Kidman's face into the security railing, Hogan sees that BTK is right in front of two little kidsters, probably like nine or ten from my best guesstimate. You guys hate when people say guesstimate? I don't. Anyway, he warns the little kidsters at ringside to to back away to a safe distance. Then he slams Kidman's face into the railing right where they were standing, and then high-fives both of them! Pause. Look. I know that Hogan's, like, not the best person. Like, I know that. And, And it doesn't really matter, but I love when wrestlers do little shit like this and interact with little kids. You know, it just... It is a, I don't want to call it a lifetime-defining moment because it shouldn't be, but it's a—it's certainly something that, dare I say, <clears throat> excuse me, even though humans are not immortal, and I don't know if Hulkamania is immortal, but it's sort of an immortal experience, not because it's captured in television form, but it lives with you forever. But it's, but it's better, like... If you take your kids to, like, Universal or Disney, and they get their pictures taken with, like, Ariel or Spider-Man or whatever, like, it's kind of like that happening, except this is the real thing, in quotation marks. Uh, This kid will tell that story for the rest of their lives. And Triple H, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, made this thing work organically. It was just fun. It's it's stupid, but it was fun. Okay, unpause. Uh, Mark Madden tells us that uh, Billy Kidman becomes a Hall of Famer if he can retire Hogan, Tony. Well, he didn't quite retire Hogan. We already mentioned that. I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame, but he does have two Hall of Fame-worthy theme songs, in my opinion. I'm a big fan of the... But I also like his cruiserweight. I don't need to vote me. I'm not DMX. Bark if you love me. Come here if you need me. Billy Kidman, X gon' give it to ya, gon' give it to ya, X gon' give it to ya, he gon' but Come on! Sometimes when I'm listening to songs with profanity in it, especially when I was younger, I would sometimes go, or, or, come on! Over the profanity. Even if it's not a DMX song, like, uh, oh, I don't fucking know... Uh, what's a song where they say, fuck? Okay, I don't know why, but that Puff Daddy song, Victory, popped into my head where Busta Rhymes says, We got the real life shit from front to back. 
I'd be like, we got the real wide. No, no, that was awful. We got the real wide. We got the real life. We got the real life. Come on. We got the real life. Come on. That's a good one, finally. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, guys. I'm sorry. Anyway, Hogan throws BTK into what Tony calls, quote, the safety steel rail. Both men back in the ring and a blatant chokehold by Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Mark Madden's all like, you know what I'm worried about? If Hogan and Flair get retired tonight, there won't be any Social Security benefits left for me when my time comes. They're going to drain the thing dry, Tony. Horace Hogan breaks up the choke as he has sworn to call this match right down the middle. Just like Malcolm. Finally, Billy the Kid rakes the eyes and gets in control. His offensive flurry includes punch, kick, choke. Wait a minute, is Hogan still in control? That's actually what Billy does. Well, I guess it is. Holy shit. Horace breaks up Billy's chokehold, though, and Billy is pissed. Uh, This distraction of a Horace Hogan allows Hollywood Hulk Hogan to mule kick Rochambeau, Billy the Kidman's testicles, and he takes the weight belt off. Oh, shit, dude. Oh, Billy Kidman, dude. I told you I had a special thing coming for you. Uh, this, goddammit, what's the name of his belt? Uh, Costco. Co- no, Carzilla, dude. That's my belt, brother. It doesn't matter, but Hogan whips this shit out of Kidman like multiple times. Madden gets indignant. Wow, there's your American hero whipping a man with his big leather belt. Hey, kids, try this at home, I guess. Absolutely not. No, please, not at all. A big belt wind-up, and another slap to the back. Horace, though, makes Hollywood put the belt back on, so he is calling this right down the riddle. I think I said riddle. Uh, BTK rolls to the outside to try to find some solace. He doesn't, though, because Triple H follows him outside and punches him some more. Upon seeing Triple H punch Billy the Kid, Hudson says, maybe the most moronic thing I've ever heard him say, and folks... That is saying something long-time listeners will know. He says, quote, Wait a minute, Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's Hollywood Hogan. Hulk Hogan would never use a closed fist, but Hollywood certainly would. Have you ever watched a Hulk Hogan match? Hogan has a chair. He holds it up high for everyone here in Baltimore to see, and he even turns away from Kidman so the fans behind him can revel in the fact that he has a solid steel chair. Hogan turns around, but as a result of this sudden pivot, he is now holding the folded chair dangerously close to his own face. Van Kidmanator dropkick by BTK! Upon impact, Hogan sells by throwing the chair like a madman. And I swear to you, the chair is inches away from going into the crowd and landing on the aforementioned kidsters that Hogan high-fived. Wouldn't that have been ironic? Don't you think? All right, so Billy the Kid has the chair now, and he uh, starts hitting the man in the back with multiple shots and tosses Hogan back inside. Sensing that this could end the career of Hogan, Billy covers one, two, no. Kidman is pissed off about the cadence of the count. It was fair. Hogan rolls outside and yanks Kidman along with him. Uh, Hogan's offense is now, well, say it with me, punch, punch, into the security railing, into the security railing. 
Finally, we're back inside, and uh, on commentary, Scott Hudson is defending Hulk Hogan. Madden is all like, oh, that, that's good, Scott. Yeah, real good. Why don't you just uh, keep drinking a Kool-Aid, and uh, why don't you go kiss him after the show? Oh, I'd pay to see that. Uh, when Hogan and Kidman get back into the ring, though, Tony says some weird shit. Like, what Tony's saying makes sense. But it's just the kind of funny, like, word vomit that happens when your job is literally filling time with words. And here's what it sounds like, because everybody's on the outside and everybody rolls in. Horace is in. Hogan is in. That's Hulk. Hollywood. And Billy Kidman. They read us back. You can see. I just kind of like that he calls him Hulk Hollywood. Uh, Hogan goes to power slam Kidman, but BTK slides out and DDTs Hulk Hogan viciously. Well, actually, uh, upon being DDT'd, Hogan actually just goes down to his knees because he doesn't want to take the TDT. And honestly, it looks like Kidman got the worst end of this exchange. Oh, and to top it off, there's a chair beneath them. Um, Hogan would have technically landed on the chair if he's if he let his face hit the mat. But even if he did, he would have just landed on the legs of the chair. Regardless, Kidman spiked his own back on the actual chair. So yeah, I mean, wrestling is hard to do. What do you want? Kidman covers one, two, no. Another fair count, though, from the Horster. Kidman goes up to the top rope, hits a diving splash. One, two, no. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Kidman has had enough, and he gets in the face of special guest referee Horse Hogan, dude. The new blood is imploding before our very eyes. Kidman, for the first time in many months, has to fight his battles on his own. Now, I bring up that quote specifically because it made me think about stuff, and that will play into our discussion at the end of the match. Kidman is trying to keep Hogan down, but wait a minute. Hogan stands up, takes a few punches, and then he hulks up from the standing position. A rare variant of the Hulk up, but it has happened before. Well, I was going to say it'll happen again, but I guess it won't. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tony Schiavone now makes a call that makes me smile very much. The fans are standing as Hogan comes back, as we have seen so many times in sports entertainment wars. And you fuckers mock me when I say the wars of sports entertainment. Well, guess what? I learned it from you. Uh, Hogan gets mounted punches in the corner. The crowd counts along. They're definitely into the match. I'll say that. They've certainly woken up for this one. Uh, corner clothesline from Venice Beach. Kidman flies to the or flees, excuse me, to the outside. Again, Hogan goes to power slam Kidman again, but Billy wiggles out and pushes Hogan into the post, face first. Well, shoulder first. Hogan's now leaning against the announce table. Kidman charges, jumps. Hogan catches him with kind of a beal, full arm dragon twist, hip lock. And Kidman crashes through the announce table. It's actually not a bad spot. I mean, it's all Kidman, but, you know. Kidman is completely out of it. He's on Dream Street. Madden tries to prove that he's got internet street cred. Because he's, like, trying to get Billy to come to, and he's whispering in his headset. He's like, come on. Come on, Pete. Uh, no, Billy. Now, as many times as I've seen this show, ladies and gentlemen, I... I've never really paid attention to that little verbal flub, which was obviously done on purpose. He called the kidster Pete. 
But I'm not going to lie to you, fans. I really thought his name was Billy Kidman. I really did. A quick Google Wikipedia search confirms Billy Kidman's real name is Peter Allen Gruner Jr. Bummer. Here comes Tori Wilson. Uh, the Warriors of Sports Entertainment head back inside to ring the ring, but Tori is now up on the apron, and Madden says, Well, oh, she's looking pretty good from the back or from the front, Tony adds. She always does, but that's not the story now! Hogan sees Tori. Tori pulls some brass knucks out of I don't even know where, because there are no pockets on this dress. She gives them to Hollywood Hogan. Kidman charges... Knees Hollywood, and Hollywood collides with Tori, and Tori takes the Miss Elizabeth bump to the floor. Now Kidman has the brass knuckles on his right hand. He nails the Hulkster. Covers. One. Two. No! A last-second kick out by the Hulkster. Kidman mounts and desperately beats down on the Hulkster. The crowd is absolutely chanting, Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. Now, Horace is administering a five count because Hogan is in the ropes. And Horace pulls Kidman off of Hollywood. Kidman has the knucks again, and he smacks Horace Hogan in the face. Well, so much for that. Tori gets back in the ring. She gets on her knees behind Kidman. Wait a minute. She gets on her knees behind... That's not how the force works! Oh, wait. Never mind. She wasn't She wasn't doing the... She just hits him with the old Rochambeau, Tony! Now Hogan has the brass knuckles and shades of three ninjas. He knuckles up! Punches Kidman in the face. Horace is up. Hollywood covers one, two, three. Not even a leg drop! Ah, oh well. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Hollywood Hulk Hogan marches towards his date with destiny at the bash at the beach. Madden is very upset. Unbelievable! We gotta watch this guy more! He was supposed to be done! Horace raises the hand of Hulk Hogan, and they hug. Madden, please, for a reason to continue to exist. Why, Tony? Why? Hogan poses as he must. Well, the match was typical of a match of this ilk. I should probably apply a ranking of some sorts. You know, I gave Chronic Mamelukes two and a half. They at least had some shtick going on, though. But, you know, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't do quarter stars. I, I would go two and a quarter on this, because two is a little too low, because it was fun enough. Um, I mean, obviously, there's no work, but that, that's not what my star rankings mean. I'll tell you what, though. I will give it two and a half wrongly booked storyline resolutions. So, as I promised, let's talk. What should we have done with Kidman? I mean, I'm no expert, but Kidman always had help in this thing. And I know that this probably would have never been allowed to happen, but what if Kidman was an actual threat to Hogan? Like, what if what if Kidman struck at Hogan quickly and then fleed the scene? Not so much as a scaredy cat, but what if, like... Because Kidman is a quick cruiserweight-style athlete. So let's say Hogan's wrestling. I don't fucking care. Chris Candido. Hey, Hulk Hogan! It's me, Chris Candido! And Hogan goes for the big boot. He looks to the crowd, cups the ears, and he's going to drop the leg. Kidman runs in from the aisle, jumps and, like, swings the chair like a mighty god at Hogan. 
and then, like, runs away, because, like, that's how he strikes, because he's quick, and he does it all by himself. He doesn't have Bischoff helping him or anything like that. He's like, Hogan wants to call me the flea market champ. I'm going to show him what a little flea I am, and then he strikes like a flea. I mean, just so I'm not just sort of play it into it. Like Hogan said it, that's what they're using to make the feud happen, so play into it. You know, fleas are tiny. They're little. They're annoying. So be a tiny, little, annoying threat. All right? But always have him get the upper hand on Hogan, except when they wrestle a match. And then they could do a thing as we're leading into this match with the career on the line, and, you know, maybe Hogan gives an interview, and he's like, well, I'll tell you what, he's a flea. He's a quick, you know, like, I don't know, like, something, I mean, Hogan's a pro, he could make this work, like, Billy the, like, maybe Bischoff and Russo help him get the, you know, make Hogan sign the contract or something, he's like, Billy the Kid, man, you're doing pretty good on your own, what are you doing with these two, you know, you want to fight me man to man, and then Kidman's finally like, fine, I'll fight you man to man, and they have a match at this pay-per-view, for the career, and then, you know, I don't know, Russo and Bischoff come down, and they're gonna hit Hogan with a chair and make it so Hogan's career is over, and Kidman is like, no, I'm gonna end his career, and he pushes Russo and Bischoff and whatever, and then Hogan wakes up, hulks up, and beats Kidman, okay, but then Hogan's like, dude, you could've beat me, you could've ended my career, dude, and you didn't do it. You know what, brother? I feel like there's a little Hulkamania I can do. I was going to supremely sacrifice you, Billy Kidman, in my Temple of Doom. But you know what, brother? Why don't I raise your hand here, even though I won the match, and maybe I could give you a little rub. But that that's what you should do. The feud should end with Kidman turning face and getting a respect rub from Hogan. Because Kidman's got to be a face. He's so tiny. He's got the little chubby cheeks. But I'm done. Done with my rebooking, and and then and that is that. Backstage, Eric Bischoff is on the phone with panic in his eyes. Are you watching this? Do you even get pay per view in Montana? Is he talking to Garrett? This is insane. These Hogan's are like cockroaches. You just can't get rid of them. Now, a police officer is hovering over Eric, clearly waiting to speak. Hold on, hold on. What is it? Excuse me, sir. Is everything okay? Why the fuck does this guy care? This acting is awful, by the way. Okay, haven't you been watching? And what about, hey, what about Goldberg? What about that Goldberg monster truck? The area, the area is pretty secure. We have dozens of officers outside. Secure? Secure, my ass. Who do you think's driving that truck, the Tooth Fairy? We haven't seen Mr. Goldberg. We have everything under control. Everything under control. You hear that, Garrett? Everything's under control. We then get a promotional video for our next pay-per-view, which, of course, is Master Lock Presents Bash at the Beach. Now we're at the remnants of the announce table, since it got destroyed by Hogan and Kidman. Tony tells us, It's obvious we have witnessed a grand swerve by the Hogan family. Man reminds us that Billy the Kidman never trusted Horse Hogan, and everybody wonders what Billy will say tomorrow on Nitro. Coming up, Father versus Son. The hype train for this familial encounter is absolutely off the hook, Cole. That's a bad Taz impression. But, you know, it's not so much that I'm hyped for this thing because I think it's going to be awesome. I'm more hyped because of what it's going to give us to talk about. But I got to be honest, folks. I'm going to miss this storyline quite a bit, you know, because the video recap, it really reminds me of some of the amazing 
fucking things that we've talked about here on WCW Must Die when it comes to the ongoing narrative between the Russos and the Flares and the Fleers. You know, think, think, think about just some of these touchstone moments. The trip we took to New York with Crowbar and Daphne and Vince Russo. When, when Vince Russo was like, David, you know, there's naked ladies in there. Uh, I'll think of all the old people we've had. The cat had to teach the old people that da- to dance that were there for Ric Flair's retirement party. What about Mrs. Snodgrass, Reed Flair's teacher? Hey, Mrs. Snodgrass, you old broad. How about the time they had the funeral for Nosy? From the name of the game video? That's the name of the game. How about the fact that Reed Flair has been a WCW sports entertainer on his fucking summer break from junior high? Will he, was he getting paid? Well, we won't know. Because it's over. That time that Reed Flair gave an interview, a kind of promo, was like, David, will you please come out? David, will you please come out? America's favorite stepmom, Beth Fleer, getting Fleer napped? I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss Ric Flair switching between Ric Flair and Ric Flair during his promos. I'm going to miss talking about that time that he said, not your dad. I'm going to miss that time that David and Vince Russo broke into Ric Flair's house. And Vince Russo was like, that's where you had to swim. That dirty, stinking, shock-infested creek. I'm going to miss it so much. But the video recap ends, and Pamela Paulshock is with David and Vince Russo. Now, David, strangely, is not rocking his patented black WCW UK Tour shirt. He's wearing white, which tells me he's probably going to be bleeding in this match. Russo, of course, in his patented New York Yankees jersey. Now, Pamela Paul Shock was hired to be an interviewer. Of course, in part one, she proposed the legendary question to Diamond Dallas Page that I'm not going to repeat. going to make you listen to part one. But here, well, well, just listen. Well, David... Good luck trying to retire your dad tonight because you're going to need it. Woo. Is that even a question? Russo immediately grabs the mic. Excuse me, Rapunzel, is this a fairy tale? You see any little pigs running around here? This is a serious matter. Tonight, David Flair is about to end a man's career. A legend's career. His father's. 21 years of torture. It's all going to come out in the wash tonight. You got that? Go find a big bad wolf, sweetheart. Contrasted style. Maine Gene Okerlund is at the other WCW Great American Bash announced pos- or interview position with the Nature Boy. Nature Boy, Ric Flair. The 15-time world heavyweight champion. Isn't it 16 at this point, though? Yeah. We have heard the comments now of Vince Russo. In my opinion, I think he is the man who has poisoned the well and turned your very own son against you. Pause. No shit, Gene. I mean, why not? Ric Flair. I hear rumor pray tell the sky is blue. Ric Flair. I hear the earth spins. Ric Flair. I hear the earth is round. Hold on, Ric Flair. This is AJ Styles. You don't know me yet. I, you're going to teach me a lot of things when the TNA, but I don't know, Rick. I, I'm a pretty good wrestler. I would imagine I'm probably a pretty nice guy, but, but before you answer that question about the earth, Rick, you don't want none of that question. I got some literature that I think you should be reading. Now, other people might trying to give you some literature. You don't want none of that literature. Come on. Come on. Anywho, Rick 
responds to Mean Gene's question. Mean! Woo! Gene! I win Baltimore, Maryland tonight. We are it's this, the Great American Bash. It is Emma! Woo! The Nature Boy! The only one! Woo! David! Russo! Russo! I'm going to style and profile and walk the aisle tonight in Baltimore. Woo! One more time. Woo! And go, Hulkster, go! Woo! All right, Nate. Go out there and see if we can make it two out of two. Thank you. Now, in the arena, Doug Dillinger leads... Reed Flair, Beth Fleer, Megan Fleer, and Ashley Fleer to their seats at ringside. Now, by my calculations, a.k.a. a quick glance at Wikipedia, Ashley Fleer, who we're probably the most interested in for historical purposes, of course, just turned 14 at this time. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. You know, I always... I always, after, you know, I, I watch a show and take my notes and everything, I do it after I watch and take my notes. I want to make that clear because I don't want to I don't want to take anybody's shtick or shit or repeat anything I read online. But I am curious. Like, I didn't read anyone that said a positive thing about the tables match. And I get it. But that's good because that means I have a unique perspective on it. But I did read, I did read a couple of recaps of this show that mentioned that Ashley Fleer was a hottie. Well, by my calculations, she just turned 14 years old at this time. However, I'm not going to be a Republican and call everybody a pedophile. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I love you still. But I'm just saying. It is crazy, though, because, you know, she's Charlotte Flair and she's only 14 years old here. Uh, signed in the crowd, Reed is my favorite flair. But I gotta be honest with you. I don't necessarily agree. However, I see how someone could adopt that viewpoint. I mean, hell, Reed Flair has had more TV time here in the reboot era than someone like Hark Docs Chris Gattino. Hell, he's probably making more money than he is, too. Uh, the Flair family is seated at ringside. Beth and Reed in the front. Ashley and Megan in the back uh, of the front row. That is, you know, they're in the front row, two seats apiece. Um, ladies and gentlemen, some dude in his twenties is very happy to be sitting next to America's favorite stepmom, Beth Fleer. I absolutely caught him looking at her cleavage. All right, on to the match. Out comes David Flair. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. As David enters the visible spectrum, he's he's putting on a shirt as he's walking out. And you know what? I swear to you, he's now wearing the black fucking United Kingdom Nitro Tour shirt. And I did not go back and add that line about him wearing a white shirt earlier. I'm not that clever. Well, I am that clever, but I'm just saying. Like, unless I'm transcribing dialogue, like I just I just write down bullet points, you know? Like, during the interview, I wrote down white shirt with a question mark. Because it threw me off. Because I thought for sure he was good. He always wears the UK Nitro shirt. I'm just happy he's doing it. But, man, the foresight of a Johnny C. Uh, of course, 
Behind David Flair, at a little bit of a distance, is the Brooklyn Dodger. Vince Russo, Tony. Hey, Tony, remember, I called him the Brooklyn Dodger. It's an important thing. Get used to hearing it. Now, Russo's keeping his distance. I don't know if it's to keep the shine on David or to give himself his own spotlight-based entrance. Uh, Tony has some thoughts on Vince Russo, and I think I just said Enthrith, by the way. Sorry about that. Russo is a master manipulator, getting a man at 21 years of age when he's most vulnerable. So, we know now that Tony Schiavone says ruined and vulnerable. But then afterwards, he adds, when he feels most isolated, when he feels that he's not loved. Really, Tony, at 21 years old, a man of 21 years of age is at his most vulnerable when he believes he feels his most isolated and when he feels he's not loved. I'll give you like 13, 15 tops. I know everybody's not the same. I'm talking in broad strokes here. But at 21, I mean, I'm not saying things are perfect and, and everybody's different. But come on! If this was Reed Flair versus Ric Flair, I'd buy into it. We get another shot of the family. And folks, the dude from earlier who was checking out the cleave totally spikes the camera and leads it forward next to Beth Fleer. So it's like this guy is a member of the Flair family. I swear to you, if I was this fucking guy in real life and I got a copy of this pay-per-view on VHS, I would have taken a picture of the TV screen and made it my goddamn Christmas card like I was in the Flair family. And he'd be like, Merry Christmas from the Fleer family. Woo! Speaking of the Fleer family, here comes the patriarch of said familia, the nature boy, Ric Flair, in a very nice nature boy blue robe. Tony puts over that Flair is a legend, but he does it in a way that is so year 2000 Tony Schiavone. During the 21 years of David's life, Ric Flair helped build a great sport. Sports entertainment. <laughs> Ric Flair helped build a great sport. He takes a beat because he realizes he can't say pro wrestling. Sports entertainment. The sport of sports entertainment. Pyrotechnics are ignited. Tony doesn't understand how David Flair could have grown up so unhappy because Ric Flair came home with big paychecks. Well, uh, Tony, you got to remember that uh, David Flair, he lived in squalor because that money went all to the other kids. You know, I heard David Flair was chained up in the basement when he was bad, Tony. Referee assigned for this contest is Little Nate Charles Robinson, which makes no sense if you consider that Russo and Bischoff would have been able to control who the referee is, but whatever, I'm not a booker. The bell rings, so here we go with match number eight, our second of four planned main events, the father versus son career on the line matchup. Ric Flair, as Ric Flair, defeats David Flair via natural selection. As our earlier main event did, we start off with circling around one another. Rick walks towards David and goes, This makes David very angry and he throws a little fucking tantrum. They continue to walk in a circle until Rick stops and grabs the top rope and thrusts his dick at Vince Russo on the outside. Rick loves to fucking taunt Russo with his cock. It'll happen again. The men lock up and jockey for position. Scott Hudson is stealing my gimmick, ladies and gentlemen, because I swear to you, and I know the motherfucker does it on purpose, uh, just the same way 
that fucking uh, Mark Madden called Billy Kidman Petey. Hey, Petey, come on. You got to go play the trombone at the Twin Oaks camp, Petey. You got to get up from this Hulk Hogan match, Petey. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Your name is Billy Kidman, not Petey. The same way that re- the reason he calls him Petey, sometimes Scott Hudson ca- says, Ric Flair. And then sometimes he's like, Ric Flair. But he's not, he's not like drawing attention to the difference. He's just doing it to be subliminally in your head. Like that time Zach Morris made subliminal tapes with the new Beau Revere hit, Where are you going? Zach Morris is a dream. Where have you been? I want to go on a date with Zach Morris. Where are you going? Okay. Madden is in full heel mode praising Mr. Russo, which you would kind of expect. And he like he kind of bends the truth for David, you know, kind of like he did talking about David being chained up earlier. It's good. It's kind of Heenan-esque, so I appreciate it. Finally, the two combatants lock up and Rick controls and puts David into the corner. There's a clean break. Then Rick Flair slaps his own son in the face. Not your dad, David. Not your dad. There's a lockup. David controls and gets Rick in the corner. Chop! 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 Ooh, David Flair unleashing the fury. Rick Flair gets whipped into the corner and does the patented Flair flip. But he can't quite make it over. So he just rolls outside a defeated, defeated man. David follows and unloads chops and right hands to Ric Flair on the outside. Madden says to Scott Hudson, Look at that! He just got off the old block chip. I'll repeat that. Madden says to Scott Hudson, Because Ric Flair is getting beat up by David Flair, and David Flair is using Ric Flair's own moves against him. Oh, look at that. He just got off the old block chip. I mean, I do that shit all the time, but I just thought it was fun. Uh, Ric Flair is whipped into the security railing and then tossed back inside. David Flair then hits a vertical suplex that makes Ric Flair say, Yeah, I got. Yeah, I got. I got. Russo. Oh, my back's hurt because I've been in this great sport for 17 years, Russo. Woo! A sport. A sports entertainment. I got. I got. Yeah. Yeah. David then goes to show how much he cares about our entertainment uh, by locking in the sleeper. So that's nice. Rick stands up and counters with the teardrop play. Rick controls David in the corner and tears the David's shirt. Oh, my God. How dare you, Rick? That thing was a collector's item. I'll get another. It's a, I don't have any more, Dad. See, I've been wearing the same one the entire time. You never loved me! Now, Flair starts chopping the shit out of David again, but this time on the exposed flesh. He's like, I don't want it to be like this, David. I don't want it to be like this. Chop. Chop! Chop! David, I swear I didn't really want to enjoy this. Chop! Chop! You know, David, I'm kind of starting to like this. Chop! Oh, uh, there's just child abuse pure, abuse, pure and simple, Tony, adds Mark. Flair then struts and kicks a downed David Flair in the cut. It's funny because it's his son. Uh, and then David stands up and there's more punching and chops from Flair. At this point, though, I must ask, which Rick, which flair do you think is punching and chopping? You know, you should just pick one, because that's, that's the offense of this entire match, just to set that precedent. Eventually, Rick takes David outside, and they're standing in front of the, the loner announce table. You know, I can imagine these guys being like, Ah, uh, this is Tony Schiavone on headset, here at commentary, 
As you can see, fans, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know why I called you fans, even though you work for WCW, it's just an instinctual thing that I did. Uh, you see, I talk all day into a microphone, but what we need out here at the ringside area to continue narrating the wars of sports, entertainment, and to hypothesize about the meanings of the configurations of the new blood is we need a table. And that person there is so pissed listening to him talk this way. So he, he rings up his buddies like, bring him the Lona. Because this table, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like it was just sitting around in the Baltimore arena. Like, whenever WCW brings in the scab table, it's always, like, got paint on it and shit. It's... I, I don't get it. So they got the loner. Where was I going with all this? Oh, yeah. Uh, again, David is beaten down near the table, and he's, like, leaning back on it, and Flair's hovering over him. You want to be Ric Flair? You want to be Ric Flair? Woo! More chops, more punches. Tosses David back inside. At one point, David messes, bouncing off of the ropes. But then David gets control, and a big clothesline from Charlotte sends Rick back over the t- I swear to God, take a shot just in the Great American Bash 2000. Take a shot every time combatants wage war of a sports entertainment nature on the outside of the ring, and you will be dead, I don't know, like three minutes? Uh, David tries to pursue uh, Ric Flair to the outside, but it's it's weird because little Nate Charles Robinson won't let David leave the ring. Now, what the fuck, man? I, I understand that you have a little personal investment here, but when have you ever seen a spot like that in a match? Oh, when this needs to happen. Russo stalks Ric Flair, looks him dead in the eye, and he's like, You want to get nuts? Oh, fine. Let's get nuts. Because the Batman is here, ladies and gentlemen. He hits Flair with a baseball bat in the knee, and then he spikes it on his gut. And oh no, Vince Russo brought handcuffs for his dance with Ric Flair. Now, he does cuff Rick's hands together, and uh, Scott Hudson chimes in, just sort of wondering, where did all this come from? What gives a Vincent Russo the belief structure that he has the authority to do such a thing involving handcuffs? Has he been deputized? Is he party fife now? Rick is tossed inside so David can have his way with him now that he's handcuffed. And Russo, of course, has the only key. David locks in the figure four. Oh, God. God. Ah. God. Oh, no, God. No, God. One, two, no. Now, I should note, it's at this point we get a clear view of Ric Flair's handcuffed hands, and his hands are handcuffed, and and that's, you know, I guess that's a good thing to get over your intent that David should be able to control everything from now on. However, Rick's hands are handcuffed in front of him, not behind him. Call me crazy. But it really seems like Ric Flair, from the position he's in, can still bend his fingers into a grip. What's to keep these handcuffed hands from just grabbing David's leg and, and lifting it up? I get if you're in the figure four and you're actually, like, I don't know, been wrestling for 30 minutes and your legs have been worked on, but Flair hasn't been worked over. He's just handcuffed. God. 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 And, and I'm not the type of person who, like, watches a movie and is like, oh, how come the person didn't do this or that, you know? like, Because characters react how those individual humans would react in those hypothetical situations based on what the screenplay believes. But in wrestling, you got to give me an 
extra layer to make me believe it. I, I'm not saying it's fair, but it seems to be the case. And it's the case that they gave me. Come out! Margaret, was the case that they gave me? Uh, uh, you know, so back to what's happening, though. David is using the ropes for illegal leverage. Rick is down in the pinning position once again. One, two, no. At this point, little Nate's Charles Robinson sees the leverage that David is obtaining and pushes David off the ropes, and this allows Ric Flair to break free. Mounted punches now from David, and Charles Robinson pulls off David Flair violently and, like, slams him to the ground by his own hair. And I get it. It's Charles Robinson. Um... But just because he's in the ropes doesn't give Charles Robinson the authority to do this. He should count to five and then disqualify. It's a blatant overstepping of authority, gorilla. Now, this altercation between Charles Robinson and David exists only to have them yell at each other so Vince Russo can start choking Ric Flair by the ropes. Huh. They should not have sent Doug Dillinger over to escort the Fleer family because now, ladies and gentlemen, a fan hops the rail. I beg you, fans, please do not hop the rail and attempt to encroach upon a Vincent Russo while he's choking a Ric Flair. Wait! That's that's not a fan! That's Reed Fleer! No, no! Reed Flair! Because Reed is an active character that's getting a paycheck. And credit to Reed here. He sprints Dead to rights to Russo, and Russo gives him a big shove. Reed goes down, and it gets absolutely what's to this point the biggest reaction of the night, as it should. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because it's like, well, you've got some of like the biggest legends in wrestling history, but then you've got a spot that, you know, is child abuse. Uh, and I'm not. I, I, I'm saying that. Well, I shouldn't say I'm saying it to be funny because there's nothing funny about child abuse, but I guess I'm kind of doing a Mark Madden here. Like, oh, that's child abuse, Tony. Uh, but Rick, Reed Flair, he earned it. He earned his paycheck with this reaction. Uh, however, the reaction isn't exactly warranted because Reed immediately rolls forward from his back, and I suddenly remember, you can't, you can't push Reed Flair down and assume it's over. You know why? Because he just, you did. Reed returns and goes down to his knees. I thought for sure he was going to shoot the double leg. Unfortunately, he just, Rochambeau punches a Vince Russo, Tony. I'll say this, though. Since Reed Flair is not a professional, well, he's a professional sports entertainer because he's getting paid, but he's not a seasoned veteran of sports entertainment. He doesn't pull the dick punch like a lot of people do, and he doesn't do what Rick does all the time and punch you in the, in like the navel. Because Rick gets so forward, he, like, punches you in the dick with his joint. He joints your dick. He doesn't punch your dick. He joints it. Um, Vince Russo's down. What a spoiled, rotten little kid that is, Tony. But Reed has the key now and gets into the ring to unlock Rick. But David backs Reed into the corner. Luckily, before he's tossed down by David, Reed throws the key on the ground right in front of Charles Robinson. Now, at this point, though, and I'm not trying to sound like Mark Madden, but I'm wondering how many people does Rick need to beat David Flair? Because right now it's three on two. It's Rick, Charles Robinson, and Reed taking on Vince and David. And, not, and the baby face should not have the advantage. What if the baby face had the advantage in war games? It wouldn't really be war games. 
David Hare Beals Reed Flair, but the handcuffs are off, and David doesn't know it. So when he approaches Ric Flair, he gets an immediate reverse knife edge chop. Wait! There's, there's something happening on the outside. Can we please get a camera to the outside? Because Vince Russo, still down on the outside, selling the Rosham bonus. And ladies and gentlemen, Ashley Fleer. Well, no, wait. She's actively involved in the wars of sports entertainment now, so I guess she'd be Ashley Flair. You know what? Fuck it. 14-year-old Charlotte Flair has mounted Vince Russo, and she is handcuffing him. She is her father's daughter, after all. Back in the ring, a back body drop is delivered to David Flair. And then we cut back to the outside. Russo has recovered from the Rochambeau grogginess. And he sees that Charlotte has handcuffed him. Charlotte scurries away. And he's like, you bitch! You bitch! And you know what she did, folks? She cuffed Vince Russo's hands behind his back. Also, in all seriousness, another famous Johnny C. pause here. I just want to point this out. I know this isn't like a huge, massive spot, but think about any time you've seen someone try to do like a handcuff or a key spot in professional wrestling. Like, really think about it. That ref always takes a little bit longer than he should, and it's not really part of the story. It's just he can't fucking figure it out, or they can't get the cage door open and shit like that. And I know a lot of that's not their fault, but my the point I'm trying to make is Ashley Flair, Fleer, you know, to use you know her real name because that's who she is right here. She's not Charlotte Flair. Uh, she she nails this. She's totally in the zone. She doesn't waste any time, and, and, and she gets she just nails it on the first take. You know, if this was a true acting job, she nailed it on the first take. She's focused exactly on what she's doing, and she gets it done right. And there's no hesitation or nerves here that I could pick up. You know, like, I have a 13-year-old daughter, and if I told her she was going to have to go do this, she would never do it. Now, I know there's personality differences there, but I'm just saying it's clear to me that because not only is Ashley willing, she has a performer inside her by the name of Andrade L. You know, that's, you know, I'm going to leave it in. But there is, there is, a, there is a, a performer inside her. You know what I mean? And, and it's just, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I have the benefit of all this hindsight and I can, you know, attach more to this moment than there truly is. However, what a fun little time capsule. And it's just kind of fun that she went on to be, you know, an actual uh, sports entertainment person. So, oh well. All right, so uh, Rick is now taunting Vince Russo again his own crotch. David, at this point, is just putty in Rick's hands because Rick just controls pretty much the rest of the match. David is whipped into the corner, and he does the David flare flop. And he gets a little bouncy on the edges, but he does succeed and gets himself clotheslined off the apron for his troubles. Come on, David! Get up, David! David does get up. He goes back inside and eats a vertical souffle. Hudson is yelling, Brooklyn Dodger, Brooklyn Dodger, the Brooklyn Dodger. He's in the handcuffs, Tony, and I just want to punch him. Russo is now visible to Ric Flair on the floor, handcuffed. Time for some more dick thrusting, but this time, Rick decides to do full-on ravishing Rick Rude gyrations, complete with the arms of a, near his head. Now David's up on two knees, begging off like, No! No! David stands up, though, and gets the thumb to the eye on Rick. Come on, Rick, you're smarter than this. David Flair then goes up top. 
Uh, Rick catches him and tosses him. Oh, I see what we're doing here. I, I see. Because David did the flare flip. And then he did the no. And then he did the thumb to the eye. And he got tossed off. Oh, David Flair. Yeah, yeah, I knew. I knew. I knew he'd be a slugger in the sports slugger. Woo! Uh, Rick then hits the measury knee drop. You know, where he measures you. And then the rabbit punches to the skull. Figure four and it's over. I mean, he just locks it in figure four and it's over. Tony yells, Rick Flair, as Hulk Hogan before him, lives to fight another day. Now, I want to talk about the post-match before I rank this thing here. If that's if that's to be allowed. Um, there's a lot of things that happen here. But I might... I, I'm going to admit... I'm going to focus on uh, the, f- the fun stuff. <laughs> um, Ray Flair brings the three ladies of the house Fleer over the railing. And Russo is still in the ring cuffed and all alone. Uh, Ric Flair rips his shirt. Russo's tiny nipples are exposed. And he just chops the shit out of him. He being a Ric Flair pronouns pal. The whole family comes into the ring. Beth Charlotte, Megan, Reed's in there. Um, David pulls Vincent his daddy, out of the ring. The Flair family is then leaving the ring, each of them heading up the ramp collectively as a group. But hold it! A voice rains down throughout the arena. It is indeed a Vincent Russo because he's found a microphone. Hold it right there, you piece of shit! Flair! Flair! Vince is now pacing around the ring. I'm telling you right now, you and that little bitch, son! And that little bitch daughter of yours, you have chopped Vince Russo for the last time. Again. You have chopped Vince Russo for the... You have chopped Vince Russo. You have chopped, chopped, chopped. Cut to the entire Flair family on the entrance ramp, crotch-chopping Vince Russo. What a fucking dynamite cutaway. Well done. Give the director an Emmy. Now, a word on crotch chop form. Let's start with Papa Flair, shall we? Now, each... Well, before we even get started with that, each member of the Fleer slash Flair family... Say that three times fast without sounding drunk. uh, Each one of them has their own form, technique, and... uh, Enjoyment level while performing a crotch chop to taunt a Vince Russo on a pay-per-view basis. Ric Flair has both arms bent, and when he thrusts downward and the hands get to the crotchal region, uh, Rick can't help but lunge his dick forward. Okay, so it's, yeah, yeah. The yaw is the hand getting to the dick in the thrust. Yeah, Vince Russo, Ric Flair, not your dad. Uh, a moment with Reed Fleer, or Flair, and his crotch chop technique. Now, Reed's arms are very loose, and when he thrusts downward and his hands get to the crotchal region, he transitions from pointing at the dick and puts his hands right over left into an X scenario, and then he starts over from the very top. So, regular X, up, regular X, up. Megan Flair, a bit of a novice here. She doesn't move her arms. She just has her hands perpendicular over her vagina area. But still crotch chop. Charlotte, 
Oh, man. She's on fire with just tiny, rapid little X's like Shane McMahon. Oh, Kingfish! Look at my tiny little X's. Hey, Triple H, look at me. I'm standing on the table doing cross jumps, baby. Yeah. Beth Fleer is kind of on the fence. She hasn't done one yet. She will, which makes my statement of all the Flair family cross jumping true. But she kind of looks around, and then she does it because she had to see what everyone else was doing, so it took her a second to figure out what the what the spot or what the script called for. But she's laughing the entire time with a big toothy smile. And uh, like I said, she had to pause to see what everybody was doing. But her arms are bent with quick vertical movements and no X. All right. Let's get back to Vince Russo's little speech here. Tomorrow night on Nitro, I will retire your crippled ass! Bite me! Bite me! It appears that the Infinity Gauntlet has indeed been thrown down. The Flair Fleer family leaves. Tony yells, Up next, bird, baby! Bird! Is he the fucking penguin? You know, the penguin yells that. So, all, all totaled up here, uh, that's the story. A father versus son, career on the line. I think, ladies and gentlemen, I can't... You can't afford to miss this. If, if nothing else, just to see Charlotte, just for the fuck of it, you know what I mean? Um, but the match itself... The left-to-right movements of the match is kind of... It's only 10 minutes. Um, It's a lot easier to give a 5-minute shit show 5 stars. So what I'm going to do... And this sounds really mean, and I'm not doing this on purpose. But my initial thoughts were to go 5... The, the, you know, the family of five Fleers. You know, the, the five good guy Flares. I'm going to only give it four Fleer family members and... It's just because the match was long, and we'll, we'll, we'll just say that uh, Ashley's not there because she's Charlotte Flair now. It's not a Reed joke. I want to make that very clear, all right, uh, before Fleer family members. But well worth the entertainment, very historical. But speaking of historical and entertainment, as the Penguin Tony Schiavone proclaimed, it is indeed time to burn this shit down. It's Devil's Night. Bird, baby, bird. Fire it up. Fire it up. Fire it up! That's uh, Tony Schiavone as one of the gang members from The Crow. The Crow. This Tony Schiavone fire-based statement, of course, leads us to another video package for Vampiro taking on Sting! Behind the paint, a troubled man exists. Vampiro. That's the voiceover, but ladies and gentlemen, the voiceover, if if you think that sounds cool, it's ruined by the shot that takes place on the screen, because you see Vampiro, like, slinking behind a grave? But stupid shots like that remind me that much like our father versus son match, there's, there's so much fun to remember here. You guys remember the time that Sting walked out of the arena and his car was on fire, and he was kind of nonchalant about the whole thing, like, no, oh, damn it, Vampiro, I'm getting sick of this. What about the time that they tried to set the rig on fire, but only a little bit of the ropes caught on fire? The kind, the time that uh, Vampiro and Terry Funk fought by the gas truck? That was fun. 
the amazing sit-down interview where Vampiro started calling Sting Steve and also revealed his name was Ian. And the way Mike Denae said, Ian, Steve, the actor, Sting, is that who you're referring to, Ian? Uh, And then later at the end of that interview where Vampiro was going to eat crow, like not, you know, eat shit. I'm talking about literally eating Sting's crow. He's like, Sting, it's okay. I've got your crow. Don't worry. I'm just a little hungry. I skipped dinner. I skipped dinner because my parents didn't love me, Steve. Flames will be ignited in a most bizarre match imaginable. Let me repeat. Really listen. Flames will be ignited in a most bizarre match imaginable. So I think for that statement to be correct, this match would quite literally have to be marketed as most bizarre match imaginable as the match type. Don't forget this Sunday, Great American Bash, the most bizarre match imaginable Sting versus Vampiro. Shouldn't it be flames will be ignited in the most bizarre match imaginable? Describing the type of... I mean, look at the adjective. Uh, imaginable? Yeah, that's what we'll go with. Anywho, the video ends. And ladies and gentlemen... Yeah, Ian's theme song kind of sounds like the opening riff to Voodoo Child in a way. Tony Schiavone immediately realizes that he's read the script outline for this match because he says, I don't think this is a good idea, fans! But there are more important matters for Tony to discuss. Before this match erupts, or bursts into flames, so to speak, we are nearing the end of this telecast, and the major statement... This major surprise that's going to change the way sports entertainment is viewed, the landscape of sports entertainment, still has not gone down. Scott Hudson adds some story to the preceding statement. Eric Bischoff was a lowly C-team announcer who said he was going to take over the company. We didn't believe him. He did it. Eric Bischoff said he would go head-to-head with Raw on Monday nights. We didn't believe he could do it. He gave us Nitro. He said he was going to change the sport. He gave us the NWO. We'll find out tonight what the latest change is. All that while Vampiro's trying to make an impression? Well, he does certainly make one of me, I will tell you this, because Vampiro has brought himself a blowtorch, and he's standing right underneath the entranceway, and he's got a tiki torch. Now, folks, the tiki torch is the instrument that's used to light a human torch. So he lights the tiki torch and attaches it to a rope that's near the entrance. You know, Sting is not going to survive. Vampiro's going to smoke that two-bit bozo like it ain't no thing. Come on, Vamp. Save some new blood pride. Smoke this guy. We notice that the fire department has joined the police outside just in case someone accidentally gets set on fire, I guess. Vampiro also brings to the ring proper a tiny, tiny can of gasoline. So that's fun. But the lights go down. The thunder screams and the lightning strikes. Searching! Come on! Seek and destroy! Here comes the stinger to seek and destroy Vampiro. But before Sting becomes visible to mine eye, I noticed that the human tiki torch the Vampiro lit is rising into the air based on its rope attachment. And my god! Sting! Sting is on nitrovision! Sting is the one pulling the torch upwards. And the look on his face, you can tell that Steve the man, not so much Steve the actor, does not want to be here at all. 
he sets the tiki torch onto a like I don't fucking know what you would call it. Like a, it's almost like a flagpole. Paranoia, paranoia, everybody's coming to bird me. That's why you don't ad lib because you end up singing that. But he puts it in like a pole so it'll stand up nice. And now we have the tiki torch, human torch, ready for smoke a nation. Again, don't ad lib, children. Uh, but it is. Here's the thing, though. Here's what's weird. You know, we've seen Inferno matches, Ring of Fire matches, Firefly Funhouse matches, where there's fire around the ring. No one really described what the Human Torch match was. As a matter of fact, Human Torch just could have been a reference to the fact that a human being was going to be set on fire. But the way this match is going to work, well, well, Sting has a microphone and he says, uh, does he say anything? I don't remember. Uh, no, where are my notes? I lost them. I lost it. I lost it. But Tony does says, why is he up there? I don't remember this being part of the rules, Tony. Which was going to be the question I was going to ask. And here's Sting with the microphone explaining the rules of the match. Vampiro! Are you afraid of heights? Because I'm not. You want to touch me? You gotta get up here, boy. What? No! No! Yells Vampiro. He's changing the rules in the middle of the game. Which is kind of shades of what I complained about in our last match with uh, Little Nature Charles Robinson being assigned the referee in charge. Like, I know Vince Russo is up in a tizzy right now, but after this match, we'll see Eric Bischoff is calmly watching the rest of the show on his tiny TV. So couldn't he come out and be like, well, wait a minute, Stinger. I didn't sign a match like this. I mean, I know sometimes you just got to go with it, but again... Uh, I, I guess the, in the original in the original design of a human torch match, perhaps the human tiki torch was to be placed at ringside for fire application. But uh, now it's up on top, on top of Nitro Vision. You know what I mean? So we get a nice shot of Sting, like kind of holding the torch while it's in the position, like planting the flag on the moon. Well, hold on, hold on. This is AJ Styles. Johnny C, you got to stop talking. You really think that they put that flag on the moon? I think I got some literature for you, alright? So the next time you go to school and they say, hey, today we're going to learn about the moon landing, you say, hey, teacher lady, I don't want none! I don't want none! You looking scared, but I ain't really wanting none! Madden says, hey, you can tell that's not Hogan's torch, guys, because you never would have passed it. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing just from reading the next quote (laughs) regarding the torch now being placed high up in the Baltimore arena. Vampiro said he would take Sting to the depths of hell, but not the heights. Tony, 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 we gotta talk, man. Vampiro then goes outside and starts yelling at Mark Madden. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Boost it. Boost it. Well, I'll tell you what. Vampiro has lost it if he thinks Madden knows anything. Ian! Ian, I didn't know. Ian, Ian. That is literally what Mark Men yells. Sting repels down from the big screen. He's taking his jacket off, but he's still wearing his t-shirt. Oh, come on, man. You're just giving it away. Now, ladies and gentlemen, a real, real candidate for the most unique thing I've ever heard Tony Schiavone say, but I like this quote a little bit more because... 
it's it's not so much a quote of Tony being an idiot because and I love Tony. Okay, I really do. The the man had a really hard job here. Okay, um, but this is a great example of him realizing that. He hasn't really made a mistake, but realizing that what he's saying doesn't make sense, and then he tries to fix it. And then, because he's gone so far trying to fix it, he says something absolutely mind-boggling. The match will start in the ring and some 40 feet in the air, atop Nitro Vision. Well, I I guess you'd call it pay-per-view vision. Great American Bash Vision, I guess. But there stands the eternal flame of WCW. Just, just let it sink in and enjoy it. Sting charges Vampiro in the bell ring. So, match number nine, our third main event matchup of the evening, the Human Torch match. Ian, the Vampiro Maniac, defeats Steve, the actor, via stunt double immolation. The match is all punch, punch, punch. Mark Madden quotes Hunter S. Thompson to show us how hip he is. I'm sure Madden absolutely is the kind of guy that loves, like, well, obviously Hunter S. Thompson, uh, who's not a fictional character, but he's like, you know, Fair Loading Las Vegas is a great movie, Tony. Hey, Tony, you got to keep your eye open around here. Why is that, Mark? Gosh, Tony, there's a backcountry. But, you know, he loves, like, Tyler Durden, Alex from A Clockwork Orange, Rorschach, all those characters. Vampiro hits an Irish whip and then a spitting heel kick shades of Sario. A punch by the Vampiro Maniac. Ian is now yelling at Sting for forcing the climbing issue. A corner whip reversed. Power slam by Sting. Vampiro is still a little distraught and out of sorts. He keeps looking up at the torch. <laughs> Tony says, Sting has found a weakness of Vampiro. That being heights. Sting is a house of fire, pun intended. Sting, with his patented jumping up in the air, grab you by the hair, and bulldog slam you down. Tony, with another candidate. Talk about the level playing field. We're seeing it come full throttle now for the Mainers Club. In the persona of Sting, he has developed his own level playing field with the height to combat the flame. Sting then hits his patented crow call, shades of Rufio from Hook. Corner whip. Stinger splash! Oh no, no! Vampiro gets a boot up. Vampiro then charges at Sting, but he gets caught and dropped. Snake eyes on the top turnbuckle. Sting goes for another Stinger splash! No. Vampiro moves. Uh, based upon Sting's impact, he's now dangling on the top rope. <laughs> and Vampiro goes and gets his tiny gas can and douses Sting while he dangles. Now, we brawl to the outside. Like, there's punching and kicking and pushing and shoving. And, and we get to sort of like the middle of the aisle. One of the best things about them fighting to the aisle, even though we've seen it happen at every match tonight, literally... Literally, we've seen it. Uh, people are randomly yelling, like, Burn his ass! Come on, torch him up! Vampiro, I got a lighter! Like somebody actually yells, I got a light! Now, they move closer to Nitro Vision slash Pay-Per-View Vision slash Great American Bash Vision, which is the Titan Tron, <laughs> which isn't a thing. But Vampiro then pauses to deliver a vicious martial arts kick. But Sting counters with, Yo, Rochambeau, Tony! I mean, seriously! I, I've started calling it the old Rochambeau, not only to make fun of Scott Hudson, but so it stands out. That's how many ball shots there are on this pay-per-view. Sting throws Vampiro into the steel structure that holds the screen. Hudson, with a doozy. You knew the brothers in paint would come to the penultimate conclusion tonight. 
First of all, brothers in paint, stop. Second, it's not the penultimate conclusion. I mean, they are going to wrestle again at some point in their lives, but the penultimate is next to ultimate, which means final. Now, Vampiro is on the side of the structure, and he's climbing to trying to get to the human tiki torch. Sting pursues... The crowd is pretty silent, and the announcers foolishly bring it up like these people are so shocked, Tony. They can't even they can't even cheer, Tony. I I, I think you know that you know they know what's imminent. They know what's coming up in this matchup. They know human flesh is going to burn, Tony. Tony puts a bow on this by saying, "Mark, none of us wanted to see anything like this," which is him being like, "We want, didn't want to see such a graphic display of violence, but we all know he really means we just didn't want to see this." Tony calls the structure that they're climbing the grid. It just makes me think of Tron. Vampiro pushes Sting off the grid, and Sting falls through a stunt pad area, kind of where DDP got diamond cut in our first episode. He's immediately up, though, so don't worry about it. The vicious stunt did nothing. Sting climbs. Vampiro is already at the top 40 feet in the air near the eternal flame of WCW, a.k.a. the Human Tiki Torch. Sting's made it all the way up. Uh, all the way up top. And my God, fans, we're about to see a duel at 40 feet for the soul of this organization. JR might have made a call like that. The lights go down. Lightning starts to flash. Vampiro has the Sting's face near the torch. Excuse me, has Sting's face near the torch. But Sting trips up Vampiro and they both fall down. We can't see them. Thunder sound effects start penetrating the arena. They both rise up and Sting is in control. They do yaboo punches. You know, yeah, boo. But but no one no one reacts at all. Sting is still covered in the liquid. I guess he's too afraid to say gasoline, lest some child think, Hey, Mom, what happens if I cover myself in gasoline? Vampiro reaches for the torch, but Sting pulls Vampiro's foot, and he trips. Uh, both men get back to a vertical base, but my God, Vampiro hits a DDT on top of Great American Bash Vision. Both athletes are down, and folks, we've had lightning flashes here and there, but now the lights in the arena are completely out. We see the eternal flame of WCW move. We see the Vampiro has possession of the Human Torch. Sting is up. Now, Vampiro, if you're looking at the TV, is on the right side, okay? And Sting is on the left. These motherfuckers have to find a convoluted way to switch positions because Sting, in finger quotes, has to be on the other side, and so they do. Now, Sting is backing up. Like, he's afraid of the fire. So, he's kind of begging off like all of our sports entertainment heroes do. Vampiro is legit doing the, how about a little fire scarecrow? Because he's like inching the fla- the torch forward like, eh, I'm going to get you. You're afraid of the claw. Sting turns his back to Vampiro to run away, I guess. Vampiro lunges forward. My God! He's a fire! He's a fire! He's a fire! It's true. Sting's shirt is on fire. Sting grabs his head as if to communicate to us via a nonverbal fashion. I can't believe I'm on fire. Sting, standing still, spins in a circle. 
He walks towards the edge of Great American Bash Vision. He leads forward into what could best be described as a controlled fall and lands on a giant flame retardant crash pad. As he lands, the flame is immediately snuffed out. Now that's a I I'm just saying that that is a good thing, but it's it's painstakingly obvious the flame is completely snuffed out. I mentioned that because it makes the next moment all the more hilarious because a fuck ton of WCW personnel, EMTs, and firefighters come to check on Sting. They got gurneys and shit. The firefighters start dousing Sting with fire extinguishers so nobody can see that it is fucking clearly Sting's stunt double. Like, there is a massive amount. It's like a fog machine or one of those, like, Halloween places you go to and, and, you know, people jump out and try to scare you and they shoot the fog everywhere. Now, the announcers start getting really serious. Like, I don't want to say... A lot of people always say what people are doing the Owen Hart voice. I mean, they are, but not in a way that, like, they're trying to mock that. It's just they have to sell this, you know? Oh, Jesus! Oh, Jesus, says Hudson. Vampiro smiles and bobs his head to his own music. My God, Tony! Steve Borden is a father! He's got a wife! And get him! Get him off of... Oh, that bastard! Scott Hudson. Uh, again, the overdrive selling continues. Uh, Sting's stunt double is now flailing his feet up and down on the crash pad like he's doing the backstroke. It doesn't look so much as if he's in pain, but it looks like he's having a temper tantrum. We cut to the announced position. Of course, we're still at the loader table. Let me let me just tell you what we see here. Scott Hudson has his hands clasped together in front of his nose in like a prayer position. I'm not saying he's praying. I'm just saying he's like doing a thing to contemplate. Mark Madden has a real stoic look and he's kind of looking away from the camera. Tony Schiavone, ladies and gentlemen, his headset is completely off. His hand is on his forehead, covering his eyes. <laughs> Knowing what we know now about Tony, I've, I don't think he's trying not to laugh because the man's a professional, but I think this is a legit, my God, what is this? He puts the headset back on. What do you, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? Well, we just watched Steve Borden kill himself. Madden's like, well, well yeah, you know, I, you know, it's a little more intense than I thought, but they both agreed to it. You know, Sting had it coming. He agreed to the contract. He signed it. No, this is not wrestling anymore. Tony's amazing here. Uh, despite all the nonsense talking, um, you know, that, that they're doing here, Tony tries to rationalize why he would be so appalled knowing there's going to be human torch match. He's all like, well, you know, you know, when, when they talked about this thing, when they signed it, you know, I thought, you know, maybe a leg or a boot or perhaps a man's glove was going to catch fire, but not, not like this. We see tons of replays, which is a bad idea. <laughs> did he jump to save himself? Is that what he did? Tony wonders. Well, look at him. He's on fire. He could stay up there and burn to death or take his chances on the ground, Tony. Tony apologizes that they can't save face and, and start promoting what's going to be on next because, quote, Fans, I'm sorry. We've just seen the damnedest thing in sports entertainment. So I think that's a nice wrap-up for this segment. Honestly... In terms of a match, I, I I imagine that all of you probably thought I would give this an easy five stars. And here's the thing. I think maybe I've just seen this a few too many times. Because, I'll say this. 
well, the part where they're in the ring is just boring to all get out, and then it takes forever to get up to the torch, and then, like, all you really need to see is the clip of Sting being on fire and, like, spitting in a circle, see how he falls in a safe, stunt-like manner, and then if you think the announcers are funny, watch them, but I'll say this, if you've never seen this entire segment before, it's five stars, five torches, five uh, stuntmen, whatever you want to call it, but if you have seen the match... It's not. It's only five stars the first time you see it, which I know is a weird thing to say. And, of course, these are WWS die stars, which means it's so bad you can't afford to miss it. Uh, but there are a lot of funnier things you could watch that aren't going to take as much of your time. Well, one can't mourn forever, can we? We have to move on from the death of Sting's stunt double. Uh, Pamela Paulshock is in the back with Eric Bischoff. She touches him. And she doesn't get, like, a, a slimy layer of ooze on her hands, to my knowledge. But she's all like, uh, all right, uh, Eric, well, I don't, again, I don't have any questions, even though I'm an interviewer, but uh, it's the end of the show and time to live up to your surprise. Get your hands off me. You know what? Forget the surprise. This isn't the right time or the right place. Goldberg's running around everywhere. That's it. That's it. Screw it. No big surprise. That's your surprise. We then cut immediately back to the arena and with a silent rage because the poor man has been selling the sports entertainment altering surprise the entire evening. Did he just say, no surprise? That's the surprise? Bing, bing, bing. The bell rings because Michael Buffer is here for the very super special ultimate main event ring announcements. Now, I didn't write down verbatim what he had to say, but hearing Buffer's voice put some thoughts into my brain, and now I'm going to share those thoughts with you. Before I can, though, I'd like to tell you that after Michael Buffer says, you know, the first couple things, Tony's like, oh, you know, that's okay. I don't think I could take much more anyway. So, Buffer being here is kind of funny. When you consider the fact that the WWE Championship has, has mostly kind of been an afterthought on Nitro and Thunder program. I mean, it's it hasn't... It's it's not the title itself. It's just the, the pairing of Nash and Jared. Sure, they had a couple of run-ins and what have you. I mean, you know, Nash did beat Jared for the goddamn title. I'm Nitro randomly already, so that's kind of weird. And, uh, well, you know, now I think about it, Nash beat Jarrett after Flair beat Jarrett and then had a heart attack and had to vacate the belt. So the title's been getting a lot of attention. It's just been sort of bouncing around a little bit. Um, the announcers are still trying to sell the trauma of what it was like to watch a man burn and then leap from Nitro, oh, excuse me, um, paper, no, Great American Bash Vision. But there's no time, and here comes, oh, dun, 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 dun. Big Sexy emerges, looking seemingly unfazed uh, by Sting's recent encounter with death. Michael Buffer says his usual shit. I didn't write down everything, but I found this interesting. When Buffer is describing accolades, He's all like, here's a four-time champion. I thought they might have been counting the WWE or F championship because I was like, I don't really know. But then again, I don't know much about the WWE title in 1999. 
But uh, no, sure enough, he did have four reigns. Um, two of them lasted for a day. One of them was actually less than a day. But, you know, nevertheless, he, he's held the belt that many times. Oh, before we move on to the challenger, uh, Michael Buffer also says of this man, he's known for his horizontal lift and drop power toss. Well, maybe he didn't say that, but I'll let you decide. The cho 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 chosen one. Now, Jared has three reigns already, and he's been in the company since, I don't know, February, maybe? I don't even really remember when he came back. No, he's been back for a while. He came back in October of 99. I'm an idiot. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that just popped into my head. Sorry about that. But he is described as the man who is the master of the stroke. Now, both men are in the ring, ready to do battle here. Uh, but before the bell can ring, and you know what? I, I know you guys know I don't like to do this because I like to try to recap the things that are so entertaining and try to make them entertaining, I guess, via second hand. However, one of my favorite moments in all of WCW year 2000 is about to happen. For some reason, this, this little speech by the guest we're about to be going, uh, joined by, I don't know why I almost said goined, like, a good friend of mine and I, we just happened to be watching this pay-per-view together. I mean, it's not surprising that we just happened to. We watched a lot of fucking pay-per-views together, but it was random that I bought this one. You know, we were both kind of trying to hang on to the fact that there might be two promotions worth watching, and he was a big WCW fan and got me more into WCW. Uh, anywho, all that aside, uh, we're about to be joined by a special guest, and I'll let them take it away, and then I'll talk about it after the clip. Come on now, baby. 
Maybe. Come on down. That's two of the filthy animals. Yeah. And now, the special belt keeper, Disco Inferno. Come on now. Special what keeper did he say? Belt, belt keeper. keeper. Oh, and That's he's the closest he'll get to that belt. You're going to say he's kept the no. belts all night long. I don't mind telling you. No, no, wait a minute. For the special ring announcer, Hoobie, the juice, baby, the juice. Hoobie, we've already had a ring announcer. We already paid Buffer, I bet. And now, the special ring enforcer and referee, And if anyone could beat all these odds, you know who it is. It's Kevin Nash. It's the executioner, baby. He's going to have to boy. I mean, these are odds like we have never seen in a world title bout on a pay-per-view telecast. So, obviously, I think it goes without saying, I absolutely love, love, love that promo. Uh, it, I mean, it's Ernest the Cat Miller's uh, Avengers Assemble uh, opening credits line, for God's sakes. Uh, I think it's hilarious how indignant the announcers are for each new reveal. I love Hudson being like, well, do we pay Buffer by a check? Because, you know, now they have the juice as the ring announcer. The juice speaks broken English, which makes that even funnier. Um, I, I hope this isn't the surprise, because if it is, it's not very good, etc., etc., etc. So, ladies and gentlemen, our combatants are in the ring. They're circling up. The bell has rung. Because I think Codad remembered to ring the bell. So here we go. Match number 10 for the WCW heavyweight belt strap. The chosen one, Jeff Jarrett, defeats Big Sexy Kevin Nash via a surprise that will change the landscape of sports entertainment forever. We start with the lockup. Right away, Madden tries to do Kevin Nash's, you know, I only got three moves, but they all hurt. Uh, he tries to get that phrase over, but it, he kind of butchers it. Hudson is still lamenting over Sting's condition. But soon, the filthy animals and the cat mount the apron, distracting, distracting, sorry, much like the Jews. I just learned how to speak English. My point is, all the heels get up and distract Mickey J, who is the assigned referee for this encounter, and uh, allows Jeff Jarrett to get control because it distracts Nash as well. Uh, Jarrett beats down Nash into the corner. He uh, climbs it for mounted 10-count punches, but yells, I'm the chosen one, and nobody counts along. You know, don't presume that because the filthy animals are out here that they're going to help Jarrett, Tony, because the psychological edge of having those guys out here might throw Kevin Nash's view askew enough to give Jarrett the title back, Tony. A uh, couple things here. One, Jarrett already has the title, so what's that all about? But number two, 
How desperate was Mark Madden to use the phrase view askew? It's obvious the man loves Kevin Smith, director of films that are set in the view askew universe. Because he yells, Snoochie Boochies, Tony. Yeah, that's why he said Snoochie Boochies. I love, Ke- I-, I love Kevin Smith, Tony. I love him more than I love Kevin Nash, Tony. It's Jane Silent Bob. You know, they're going to strike back sometime in the future, Tony. I've heard rumors pray tell that there's going to be a feature film involving Jane Silent Bob striking back, Tony. Because that hasn't happened yet. Nash throws big knees and then delivers a massive beal to Jeff Jarrett. He puts Jarrett in the corner and starts punching him. Then he does his patented IMAX elbow. Alright, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you one more time, Jeff. Before I do it though, I gotta get the shot. Hold on, let me get the, the Hey Crockett, get up here. You got the camera. Uh Tony! Tony over there, I know you're done the headset. You still the director of photography for this bad boy? No, Kevin, I gave that assignment to Klondike Bill. Alright, Bill, come over here. Alright, now I know Jarrett. Jared doesn't have a glass table under him. I got Jackie Crockett here. Line up and look at the shot. Uh, get in the ring, Bill. So what I'm thinking is, and get behind me so you can see what I'm doing with my hands. Right now I got Jared. Jared's framed up in more of a 4-3. You know, high definition hasn't been invented yet. So what I'm thinking is I could go with a 1-3-5. Get a little wide. But I'm, th- I'm thinking what I ultimately want to do is something my good friend Chris Nolan showed me. So what if I do one... 185.1. See that it's more of an IMAX. You can really feel the impact of my elbow. Alright, I think I'm going to do that. Uh, Crockett, you got the shot? And there's an elbow. Alright. Suddenly, like there's supposed to be a noise. Like a noise is supposed to penetrate the Baltimore arena to distract everyone. I think they missed the cue on, like I didn't hear anything. But they are piping in a massive Goldberg chant. So this noise or Goldberg chant causes the cat to turn around and look at the entranceway. Nash is now staring at the entranceway. What was that sound? It has literally stopped this match. Yeah, the building's almost shaking, Tony. It could be thunder for Pete's sake. But I I didn't hear noise. Like, I legit didn't hear shit. Uh, Nash lines up for another IMAX elbow, but then he adds a crotch chop, which just makes me chuckle. Hudson's like, well, now we've seen one of Kevin's three moves. They brawl outside, shocker. Nash eats the post, but shortly afterwards, Jeff Jarrett eats the security railing. Hudson wonders if running the new blood gauntlet was too big a price to pay, Tony. Did he watch the match? Nash was beating people in two seconds and it takes at least three seconds to cover someone. He didn't even have to cover these people. He was winning via jackknife ghost pin. Nash snake eyes Jarrett on the loner table and then tosses Jarrett into the crowd. My God! There's a sea of humanity that flocks around these two sports entertainers because the security is asleep at the fucking wheel. Nash has to, like, push people away. It's getting kind of dangerous. Madden makes a point that is actually... I guess valid, uh, that fighting in the crowd is the only place that Nash can get a fair fight since the filthy animals and the cats around the ring. Eventually, we get back to the ring, and immediately the animals strike, which kind of puts over Madden's point. Rey Mysterio gets revenge for losing his mask by whacking Kevin Nash's knee with a chair, and then Ray gives the chair to Jeff. Jarrett goes to town on the surgically repaired knee of Large Attractive, but then 
mid-beatdown, he stops to mount the buckle and do his cut-the-air pose. You know what I'm talking about. Where he's like, I'm the chosen one. And he moves one finger from, like, his left to his right like he's cutting like he's cutting a line into the air. Like, y'all see that? I'm the chosen one. Kevin Nash ain't nothing. This is for the new blood. Choke on that. Yo. Slap ass. Slap nut. Anywho, uh, he gets some good heat, so good for you, Jeff. You chose your spot wisely. He then gets Kevin's leg on the ropes and does some ass-to-knee offense. And God love him, Kevin Nash is actually selling pain. So, kudos there. Jeff goes to lock in the figure four center ring, but no! Nash punches Jared away, but his knee still hurts. So Jeff is in control and starts elbowing the knee. He locks in the half Boston Crab which allows Kevin Nash to take a nap without having to do anything. So Nash likes that. Eventually, he grabs the ropes. The hold is broken. Jarrett poses on the middle rope yet again, but as opposed to cutting the air, he flashes the double peace sign. He then locks the figure four in center ring. And folks, this goes on for a long time, which of course gives Kevin time to chill and think about his letterboxed account that doesn't exist yet. Well, I don't know. I give... I like... Uh, I like... I like the Dark Knight movies, but it's all Batman. You know, Nolan's got Inception. Uh, the Interstellar's kind of weird. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. Oh, oh my knee hurts. Oh, it really hurts. Uh, hey, Jeff! Jeff! Kevin, we're in the middle of a goddamn match. What do you want? Jeff, you still got my Inception Blu-ray? Ah. Oh, my knee! I haven't been able to find it. Didn't I loan that to you? Nah, you gave that one to Lee Marshall. Lee Marshall? That weasel. <laughs> you guys see what I did there? Called him a weasel, even though he always does the thing with the... Yeah. Eventually, Nash turns the hold. But if he does turn the hold, he might not be able to concentrate on where his Inception Blu-ray is. Uh, so Jarrett reverses it yet again. Nash finally gets to the ropes. Uh, Mickey J is administering Jeff Jarrett for holding on to the figure four too long. So, of course, he has his back turned to Kevin Nash. Nash is using the ropes to stand. Conan mounts the apron with the ring bell, as he is a designated ring beller, or bell ringer. <laughs> he moves with the bell in Kevin Nash's direction, but Nash, the genius that he is, falls down, saving himself from the impact of the bell bit of a problem here. The announcers start to sell this thing like the bell did make contact. Oh, oh. So he was supposed to hit Kevin with the bell and it was just a botch. Special bell ringer indeed, Tony. Jarrett covers one, two, no. Nash lives, ladies and gentlemen, Shades of Jason, Friday the 13th, part six. But he's quickly up and sidewalk slams a Jeff Jarrett for a near fall. One, two, no. The juice is up on the apron. He eats a fist. Ray goes up top. Nash balls him. Jared has the belt. He swings. He misses. Now Nash has the belt. Hits Jared in the face. One, two, no. Disco, the hip-hop inferno, breaks up the pin by knocking out Mickey J. Nash chases Disco outside. The juice hits him with a chair in the back. Nash gets tossed in by all the lumberjacks. And now we have a massive piped-in Goldberg chant. Thank God the special enforcer, the cat, was there with his referee shirt and his red ascot. So he comes in to now be the legal referee. Both men are down, and the cat is like, what do I do? What do I do? He starts doing the 10 count really fast, because, you know, if it's a double KO, the belt remains in the camp of the new blood. 
Jared gets up at nine and covers? That, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Cat goes down for a fast count, but Nash lunges up a shoulder. Disco jumps on Kevin's back. It gets transitioned to a sidewalk slam. He big boots Ray. But this distraction means that when Kevin Nash turns around, he gets hit with the stroke. Now, Jeff Jarrett ain't, ain't too stupid here. I guess you could say, ain't I great? Because Jarrett knows that Nash is going to kick out of the stroke, as that's the design of the match laid out by Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff of the New Blood. Uh, but Jarrett doesn't cover for like six seconds. He just breathes hard like, oh, man, I gave him the stroke, but I'm tired from this matchup. And then he covers one, two, no. So the stroke doesn't get killed from Nash kicking out of it right away. What will stop the tremendous athlete that is a Kevin Nash? Well, Jarrett thinks it might be the acoustic equalizer. So he grabs his guitar and jumps off the top rope to swing it. Shades of Ahmed Johnson. But Nash catches him in the goozle for a choke slam. He covers. The cat counts. One. Two. Oh, no. Right before the count goes down for three, the cat seems to be experiencing some sudden, 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 sudden traumatic eye pain. This is bogeys! Bogeys! Yells Toadie. Well, I think he has something in his eye, Toadie. The cat starts yelling, He punched me in the eye! Well, DQ him, cat. I know the DQ rule has been relaxed, but punching a referee in the eye is a bit too far. Little gut kick to the cat delivered, and Nash hits his patented horizontal lift and drop power knife. That's animal abuse, Tony, yells Hudson. Jared is up. Nash big boots him with his injured leg. He pulls the straps down on his singlet. Jackknife. Cover. Charles Robinson is here. One. Two. But he's pulled out of the ring by Rick. Rick Steiner. <laughs> That's right. I know I just turned face, but I don't like you. And if you don't like me, bite me. But Steiner did just turn face. And he's out here with Tank. Who he just... Yeah, Steiner gra- uh, runs down, stepping Scott Steiner. Hey, Scott, why don't you get Tank out of here? You got it, Kevin Nash. Scott Steiner and Tank Abbott fight to the back. All of the illegal ringside attendants are beating the shit out of Kevin Nash. Uh, we actually see Conan hit his patented potato peeler clothesline, which I like to see. Uh, they didn't put Nash in the quarter, and Ray hits him with the Rough Rider Bronco Buster. Great moment here. The Juice is super excited to see Kevin Nash getting the shit kicked out of him in shades of Ezra Miller. The Juice is just standing there watching, doing massive crotch chops and headbanging like a drunk. Wait a minute. A noise penetrates the Baltimore arena, and we actually hear it this time. Goldberg's monster truck is here in the aisle, Tony. Autobots, roll out. They start to play Goldberg's music, and wouldn't you know it, Goldberg was in the truck the entire time. The athlete that is a Bill Goldberg comes down the aisle. He is here. He's penetrated the thick blue line. The heels all scatter immediately out of the ring, so it's only Jeff and Kevin. Goldberg enters the ring. He's in the corner and poised to strike. All we need is Bobby Heated yelling, Wait, but whose side is he on? Jarrett stands up. Nash is pointing at Jarrett like, Hey, Bill, spear this guy right here. He's st- I mean, he's standing up. I mean, you got a clear shot, Bill. Are you going to do it or not? Goldberg targets Jeff Jarrett, but he pivots his hip and he spears Nash. Oh, no! Goldberg has chosen to embrace 
The thug life. Jesus! Yells Tony. Surprise! Yells Madden as if he knew about this all, uh, all along. Holy Jesus! He's Spirit Coming Nash! Surprise, everybody! Goldberg tells Jared to cover Nash. Mickey J is tossed over by Bill and told to count. Mickey J abides. One, two, three! What are we seeing? Tony wonders. I don't even know what to say, Tony. Russo and Bischoff emerge from the monster truck, but they both have this look on their face like they're stoic, like, oh, we got to go in here and confront Bill for being here, even though he's under suspension. Even though Madden already blew that this is the sports entertainment altering surprise. Could this be the shocker? No, no, Tony, the shocker is something very different. R&B slowly enter the ring. Jeff Jarrett is hilariously holding his guitar up and stumbling around like he's a drunk now. Because, you know, he just survived an epic sports entertainment war. Goldberg is pacing back and forth, hovering over Kevin Nash. Jeff Jarrett's music stops playing. And there are some big Goldberg sucks chants happening. I don't think they're piped. I think they're organic. So at least the crowd is taken to the bait. Tony's like, I can't believe what I'm hearing. A Goldberg sucks chant. So that's good. Russo and Bischoff are in the ring. Goldberg eyes him up like a $2 steak. And then shades of Matt Dillon, Nev Campbell, and Denise Richards. Goldberg grabs Russo and Bischoff each by the shoulder and pushes them together to embrace him. But rather than kiss, they all hug. And okay, I can't lie right now. Now I want to see Bill Goldberg... Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo recreate the famous Wild Things threesome scene. You could have Goldberg pouring champagne on Russo's hairy chest. (laughs) Which I guess means that Goldberg would be Matt Dillon, Eric Bischoff would be Nev Campbell, and Vince Russo would be Denise Richards. Which means Goldberg gets to emulate Matt Dillon's legendary yeah during the threesome. Okay, I've seen... I saw Wild Things in the theater like four times. All right, I was a teenager, it, heterosexual male. It was allowed. It's a decent little flick. Bill Murray's great at it. But how about that threesome scene? No, not the nudity or the sexual titillation. I mean, that's this is that's nothing now. Who really cares? But during the threesome scene, Matt Dillon randomly goes, yeah. It's the most off-putting, unsexy thing ever. I want it, though. I want to see it. He's new blood, yells Tony. No, 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 begs Hudson. Goldberg's theme hits, what does this mean for the future of WCW? I'll tell you what it means. New blood's taken over. A sign in the crowd says Goldberg is new blood. Such foresight. Is this guy like Doctor Strange or something? Garbage is now getting tossed into the ring. Goldberg's cussing a lot and yelling at fans. Russo is loving the garbage. He's conducting it like an orchestra leader. Uh, It's given him the feeling that his magnum opus has worked. Uh, Where Goldberg is, the power is. The new blood rules wrestling people. Do you know what this has done? It has changed the landscape of sports entertainment the copyright hits and the pay-per-view is over so the match is really long and bad i'll give it a star uh well no, you know what? i'll give it one heel turn ill-advised question mark uh post-match the post-match 
I will say, you know, I'm not going to rank it separately, but if you've never seen the Goldberg heel turn, I mean, you owe it to yourself to at least see it. So, so watch it. But folks, coming to the conclusion of this match means we have concluded this pay-per-view and part two of this epic recap. We have finally gotten to the Goldberg heel turn. As it's, well, you know what, uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll wrap, let me wrap a discussion on the pay-per-view, then I'll talk about what this means, <clears throat> excuse me, in the ongoing narrative. So, I don't, you know, I don't know if we really rank pay-per-views as a whole. I, I, I love this pay-per-view because of the schlock attached to it. Obviously, I have a, a unique personal attachment to it as I watched it and watched the tape quite a bit because it made me laugh. It It's not good. I would say that if you, you know... If you're if you're if you're kind of like me, or if you're like, man, the WWE 2000 is a shit show. Uh, what's something I can watch to really encapsulate that? This is a pretty good example. I know Slamboree has Arquette winning the title, so that's a good example too. It's just you know, watch it, put it on, listen to the commentary. You'll laugh, you'll chuckle. So the Goldberg heel turn to me, as it stands now. Uh, the audience has reacted to it. They've reacted to the design in play. I'm not trying to sound like Tony Schiavone. Uh, but the question is, have they reacted to the event happening or the concept of the event? Are they throwing garbage because they're angry at their hero for turning his back? Or are they angry that WCW has made this choice? You'll have to stay tuned to WCW Must Die to see. And, and this completes what I would call Act 1 of the Reboot Era, starting all the way back with the Reboot episode and concluding here. This is the end of Act 1. Thus, WCW Must Die will start covering Act 2 of this Russo and Bischoff saga, along with the new configuration of the new blood. Okay, that is the sound like Tony, but uh, Act 2 is interesting. I don't really know when it ends, hypothetically. Uh, Eric Bischoff is not long for this world. The Bash at the Beach 2000 contains maybe the most infamous moment in reboot history. Maybe in WCW history in terms of infamous. It's not famous. It's so famous it's infamous like El Guapo. So stick around, come back, and just massive, massive, massive thank yous to anyone who's been along for the journey. But moving forward, Tony. Moving forward, it's time to embrace the thug life. As Bill Goldberg has slipped into his new role as a heel. I hope you were enjoying uh, this show. I hope it uh, made you chuckle at various points. If it did, make sure you subscribe to the new TNN podcast feed because that's what we do here on the new TNN. We talk about pop culture, professional wrestling, movies, comics sometimes, etc. But ultimately, you always laugh. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. Get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping.